Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. It's easier to ruin an orgy than you think. All you gotta do is wait for it to get kind of quiet and then go, ew. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, after watching the new season of Black Mirror, I'm now convinced that I'm a simulation living in one of a billion simulated worlds. I'm just glad I got the one with free porn. Oh, this is, that's a different kind of infinite torture. A, a world in which you still have to pay for your pornography. You have to, like, go... I, you know, I'm young enough that I actually remember... Uh, trying to buy a porn magazine right. at a, at a, like a gas station right. and, and just the shame, the shame that I like experienced. Did you put a lot of other things with it? Like, <laughs> like, I don't really, I don't actually remember. I think that I just bit the bullet and I was like, fuck it. He knows I'm buying porn. I know I'm buying porn. <laughs> Here's this one magazine uh, <laughs> with a little plastic cutouts in front of it. Um, I think that's why like you and I, whatever success that we have is that we had to be kind of entrepreneurial in terms of watching like all the different problem solving <laughs> scenarios that getting porn presented like we had to solve now the, the kids today don't have that and, and you see what happens they're millennials it's too easy it's too, too easy. like the world has been handed to them and the so what you're saying is that rather than some sort of weakness of will that people think that porn consumption is a signal of it's actually a very very strong executive functioning that that we were uh well it used to be yeah but now with the coddled generation <laughs> you know they don't there's no creativity there's no like okay well you know we we had to like plan it out you had to like plan out a night of like how am i gonna do this like which friend's house should i go to <laughs> you know like what even catalog should i order yeah, sh should I go straight to the back of the store and come out, or should I pretend as if I'm browsing for some other things and I just happened to like th this porn yeah. magazine that I saw? <laughs> or like, yeah, like in a video store. Remember they used to have them oh, in the, the back room? The back room. So you'd start out like wandering around, and then you'd kind of, oh, let's. you would almost make it like you're doing it on a lark, you know? <laughs> exactly. I remember going to the video store, you know, for the VHS tapes when movies would come out like three years after the, the theatrical release and going to just a little mom and pop video store and just seeing that room. But it was like I could only imagine what wonders were there <laughs> were behind that magical curtain. But, you know, if we're in a simulation, why the hell would there be these steps 
you know, why would there be progress? Why wouldn't we just all have lived? Why would you run a simulation where you first have analog porn and then wait a few years and get digital porn? I think we just enter this world fully formed. I think it's like this social experiment. <laughs> like what what happens to this is what's act, like what happens to a generation of kids that can just see porn whenever they want. Like and then and part of that same simulation. Now I'm assuming we're not constant like that we've been in the same simulation the whole time but maybe that's not true but let's just say that it is so they're comparing in a controlled experiment you guys might try this <laughs> that like a generation of people who had to work for their porn and a generation of people who just had it handed to them it's like the, the new generation is like the donald trump juniors of <laughs> porn they always they were born into wealth uh, you know we're laughing about this, but it is it is kind of interesting that technology is so driven by the desire, especially of men, to see naked women. It's like every emergent technology. That's always has, on the forefront, right? Yeah. It's the only way virtual reality is ever going to gain a foothold is just by like dirty, you know dirty old men being willing to put a helmet and buy like a $3,000 computer just to have the experience. I actually have a, a, a good friend who, who has a full on VR setup um, for quote unquote gaming and uh, shout out to Vlad, you know who you are. <laughs> he told me uh, about the, the various uh, porn simulations that you can get on virtual reality. And you, you know, it's just first person. You can actually sit and you can like actually select the physical characteristics of the person that you want to be on top of you, pretty soon we won't need anything. We, we really will end up in this dystopian world of, of fat, lazy bastards with virtual reality porn. Speaking of which, we are um, today going to be discussing in the second segment two episodes of Black Mirror. The USS Callister, which was the first episode of the season, and then the second we're going to discuss is the is black museum which was the last episode although i watched them out of order i don't know about you um so that's what we're going to do in the second segment we'll probably have more black mirror discussion but stay tuned in the second segment where we make a special announcement about patreon subscriber bonuses you're such a professional with that tease you're like you were built for radio that's my greatest regret is that i didn't go into talk talk radio uh it's still time could you imagine being one of those people who just talks like it's just them there's not even a guest you just talk uh sam harris does that like he, no, we, he has a guest <laughs> yeah but sometimes he just talks right that's true yeah yeah you know I tried to do that once, and I forget even why, and it was, oh, for Partially Examined Life as an introduction. Did you do that, an introduction no. to your episode? They probably learned from your experience that it's a horrible, horrible idea. It's, it's tough. I can't even do, every once in a while, we'll have to do, like, we'll insert some little edit after the fact. Like, I'll say, oh, we didn't talk, we, like, we didn't talk about Louis C.K., um, because... We yeah. wanted the listeners to know that it was it came the news came out after we recorded, yeah. and I'll sit there and I'll do like fifteen takes of my little like <laughs> ten second <laughs> and sit there it's editing horrible. it. But before we get to the wonderful universe of Mr. Charlie Brooker, the New York Times has published something just for us once again. It really is it's, like this is for us to make fun of. 
That's why it appeared in the New York Times. I feel bad making fun of, of um, sometimes these things, but not bad enough to not do it. It's because I've not had a published op-ed where somebody makes fun of me that I know of. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's, what you, that's why we're doing it is because it's <laughs> out of bitterness. And... <laughs> exactly. Ressentiment. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Is that? Is, it's Nietzsche, no. but <laughs> French. I, I will say this before we get into the thick of it. The guy who wrote this, Alex Stone, actually wrote a book called Fooling Houdini about magic. And I really enjoyed the book. So, so I'm not, you know, that I might shit on this particular op-ed, but, but he, he wrote a good book. Um, okay. Yeah. So what's the article called that you made me read? <clears throat> so I don't, <laughs> I don't blame the authors for headlines because they don't write them. But I can't imagine that Alex Stone would be opposed to this because uh, he has equally ludicrous statements in the op-ed. Uh, it's called, Is Your Child Lying to You? That's Good. Um, <laughs> it starts off, Should parents be troubled when their kids start to deceive them? Odds are most of us would say yes. Classic morality tales like The Boy Who Cried Wolf and Pinocchio speak to the dangers of dishonesty. And children who lie a lot or who start lying at a young age are often seen as developmentally abnormal primed for trouble later in life then here's the key but research suggests the opposite is true uh, this is the template for these it turns kinds. out <laughs> thing is true right wrong lying is not only normal it is also a sign of intelligence children who start lying as early at, at, as the age of two are actually smarter and that it's normal so those two claims it's it's very common and the kids who do it are smarter and so we're talking most, like two to three-year-olds, right? Two to three-year-olds, yeah. At least a third of two-year-olds, two half of three-year-olds, and 80% or more of children four and older will deny their transgression in experiments where they ask a child to uh, not peek at a toy underneath a blanket. They leave the room, and then they observe the kid and see whether or not they peek at blankets. And, <clears throat> yeah. So up till this point, this is... Not surprising, right? You probably right. need a certain level of cognitive development and cognitive skill to lie. You need theory of mind, as they say. You need to know that the other person is th what they're thinking and what they want you to say. And you yeah, need... you have to be aware of a norm that, that when somebody tells you not to do something, that it's actually that you shouldn't do it, that there might be some sort of punishment attached to it. Um, and so it's not surprising that they might peak, but they know to deny it because they, they are aware that it's wrong or, or at least that there might be negative consequences. Um, which by the way, there, it, it seems to be that the, the two claims are, are a little bit at odds so that the kids who lie are smarter and most kids lie. So most kids are smarter than it's like the Prairie Home <laughs> Companion. All, exactly. the, all the kids are above average. They're all above average, right? Uh, well, yeah, no, it just means that your kid is a, like a, a village idiot if he doesn't lie or she doesn't <laughs> right. lie. And, and moreover, so then, then he goes on to say uh, they have uh, children who lie have verb, higher verbal IQs than those who don't as much as 10 points. That children who lie have better executive functioning skills. In, in other words, they... They have better sort of uh, willpower. They can exert more, more cognitive control, more, more effortful control over their behavior. Not only that, 
But apparently, if your child is lagging behind and they haven't lagged, Wait, no, I want to read this whole sentence. Oh, yeah. This is one okay, of my favorite sentences. <laughs> the psychologist Kang Lee likes to tell parents that if they discover their child is lying at age two or three, they should celebrate. But right. if your child is lagging behind, don't worry. You can speed up the process. Training children in executive functioning and theory of mind using a variety of interactive games and role-playing exercise can turn truth-tellers into liars within weeks, Professor Lee has found. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like the cart is uh, like there's a cart horse problem here like the point of having theory of mind and these higher exec isn't so that you can lie right no it's just the the be beneficial <laughs> side effect of of doing this i guess or like a you know like a, an ambiguous side effect of being able to do this yeah uh, yeah so um uh, but but then so so teaching kids to lie, apparently, improves their scores on tests of executive functioning and theory of mind. So directly teaching them to lie is, right, so A causes B and B causes A. Fuck school. Just bring a kid in and tell them, like, hey, just say you didn't do this shit. And you can improve their brain functioning. Because as this paragraph ends with my favorite sentence, <laughs> lying, in other words, is good for your brain. And then, and this is one of my biggest problems with it. Then the op-ed goes on to give all sorts of advice for how to keep your kids from lying, right? Like the rest of the article is about how to stop your child from lying and concludes that by rewarding honesty, you can do, uh, you can get them to stop lying. To be right? fair, so crazy. he says, for parents, the findings present something of a paradox. <laughs> we want our children to be clever enough to lie but morally disinclined to do so. So how do we resolve this paradox? It's, only, it's not a paradox. It's only a paradox if you think that, that lying is the only way to improve their, their executive functioning. I mean, this is, it's like you could take all of the, the sentences in which lying is, is the, the key term and change it with doing math, and it wouldn't be a paradox at all, right? It's like, like smarter kids do math earlier. Uh, teaching your kids to do math improves their uh, improves their executive functioning. Like there are other ways to improve executive functioning that don't involve lying, but of course, deception is a task that requires some skill, right? So it's 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 not a paradox unless you really buy this premise that um, that this is the way and the marker of executive this functioning. This is the only way to develop theory of mind is to get your kids at all costs to lie, and yet. Here's the paradox. We also there's so much confusion here because the point is if they're clever enough to lie, then that's all you that's all you want to have that capacity, right? The capacity. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. but then this is where these are the things that drive me crazy from these journalistic articles of and I and I don't know the I don't know the experiments that they're talking about. Uh, the yeah, the author Norton. doesn't cite them. This is the, how can we get our children to be more honest? This is the advice. As for those childhood morality tales, like Pinocchio and the boy who cried wolf, you might want to skip the more ominous ones. Professor Lee and others have found that reading stories to children about the perils of deceit, such as the boy who cried wolf, Pinocchio fails to discourage them from lying. Reading them the story of George Washington and the cherry tree, on the other hand, in which truthfulness is met with approval, does reduce lying, albeit to a modest degree. 
I mean, I can only imagine the experiment. This is this is kind of <laughs> similar to that discussion we had about the animals, where right. you, I, I guess there are these parents out there that are reading stories to kids for the for like a single moral purpose, and uh, but still. Let, let's even if you are doing that, what do you think the study is here that would lead this author, Alex Stone, to suggest that we stop reading Pinocchio to our kids, but instead read a story of George Washington? Right. So I, so there's a general principle that is true here, and I don't know those studies either uh, specifically. There's a general principle that is well-researched across a bunch of domains, which is that reward works better than punishment. And that's true for a number of reasons. So, so I, I don't have a problem with that claim that, that when you're trying to modify a child's behavior, that in fact what you ought to do is <clears throat> associate the good behavior with a reward rather than associate the bad behavior with punishment. But it's I a punishment have... to have to listen to the boring story of George Washington <laughs> under the cherry tree. Well... It's also the case that I just think that that there is a goal of modifying behavior, and that might actually be best served by some very pragmatic things, right? Like you might you might decide that look, giving them a piece of candy every time they actually tell you the truth is the way to do it. But I also think that like one of the reasons that we read stories, whatever stories we read, we're trying to give them some sort of knowledge about norms and about maybe principles or maybe just some sense of how, how the world works. And that can't be done with simple reward, right? I like there is cognitive content to, to whatever stories we tell our children that at the very least, even if they lie the whole time, they will have learned something important about how the world works and about the norms of when to lie and when not to lie or, or whatever. Nobody reads a story to their kids with the aim of curbing their bad behavior. We read stories to kids to give them a general impression. Yeah, like as you said, a general impression of the ways people interact and the what the consequences could be from interacting in that way. But we have no single moral purpose. We also want them to be entertaining, funny. We're probably reading these things a bunch of times, so we don't want them to be like really stilted and boring where we're trying to slash our own wrists while we're reading it. And right. but again, like what do you like the study has gotta be something like if you read George, like if you read George Washington and the Cherry Tree, fifty f out of no, probably there's not that big a sample size, right? It's probably more like <laughs> twenty five out of thirty nine children uh, <laughs> admitted that they peeked at the toy ten seconds later, and then you know twenty four did if when you read them Pinocchio or something like that and it's a significant difference after some massaging and I just don't see how that generalizes to now they're not going to lie or they are going to lie like I, I don't no. that, that leap I think and that's what the premise of this article is is that is that we we can learn like parenting lessons from whatever the study was now Granted, before being this snarky about it, we should probably know what the study was. But I, right. can't, I can't imagine it's a long-term study. I mean, I don't even I don't. Those studies don't bother me as much because they fit with the general principle that that rewarding good behavior works better than punishing bad behavior. Like I, 
I, again, I haven't looked at those, those specific studies about lying and reading stories, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if they actually work in that experiment but, specifically. But this is different. This, isn't, this is reading about rewarded good behavior rather than just rewarding good behavior. Yeah, but I, but I take it as— Reading a boring as, story about rewarding— <laughs> Boring. No, Pinocchio is more interesting. That's my point. <laughs> But that's the one that's punishment. Like your oh, you whole... have the, the George Washington one, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, all of this is, is a bit moot because there is one sentence in here that actually <laughs> seems to me to be the most relevant sentence that gets – it just gets a parenthetical, yeah. which is uh, Professor Lewis has found that toddlers who lie about peeking at the toy have higher verbal IQs than those who don't by as much as 10 points. And then the parenthetical – Children who don't peek at the toy in the first place are actually the smartest of all, but they are a rarity. <laughs> so, by the way, being honest enough that you actually obey the adult and don't peek at the toy and therefore avoid the whole problem of having to lie about having peek, that's actually God, what we should, be, we, should, we should be teaching. I didn't even catch that. It's like somebody, some fact checker found this this to be out and they're like you gotta at least put it in a parenthesis in a parenthetical at the end of whatever i i sometimes think there's a template and i just imagine this editor like getting these articles and putting it in the template like here's you think this but actually it turns out that this and I talked to Professor Blah Blah Blah, who ran this study, and there's a, um, a podcaster that I listen to. He does he does like tech stuff uh, named Merlin Man, and he calls this stuff the "it turns out" style of writing. Yeah. And I, he points he points to sort of Malcolm Gladwell, especially yeah. in the social sciences, as the beginning of this template. I think it's been around for a while, but especially in the social sciences. Um, this has become such a popular template, and and he refers to the every once in a while you get a, a double. It turns out yeah. where where there's received wisdom from the it turns out that it turns out that turns out not to be true itself, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that can be it's like a little meta turns out, and yeah, it's almost like an algorithm could generate. You know, you thought eating donuts was bad for you. Turns out, right? <laughs> yeah, you could do like one of those things they do for the postmodern like articles. Like you could do it for this. You know who's who does this? Our good friend Paul Bloom does this a little bit, but he does it much better. It, it is yeah, it's, it's a more sophisticated version of the. It turns out, which we're we'll talk about uh, his. It turns out when it comes to empathy, because I feel like black, one of the yeah. episodes of Black Mirror was was. You know what they made. all have is the word astonishingly, and this one has it too. They, primary school teachers, police officers, and judges were shown footage of kids who were either lying or tell the, telling the truth about having committed a transgression with the aim of seeing who could spot the liars. Astonishingly, none of the adults, not even the kids' parents, could I, detect the lie. I just Again, but... Really, astonishingly, first of all, it's a null result. Who knows what? Yeah. Right? We, I should. We should be. Hopefully, by now, our listeners know we're not responsible readers of most things. Right. But, um, uh, but I do know enough to know that it's very much not astonishing that people can't can't detect liars. In yeah. fact, it's one of the things that is is the hardest for any psychologist to actually demonstrate. That is, we're really bad at lie detection. 
all of those things, like all of those tells that, you know, like uh, in True Romance, the Sicilian mobster, he says, you know, every person telling a lie has this many tells or whatever. Yeah. It's, all, it's all bullshit. Actually, it's like really, really difficult. Nobody, there are no real good ways to detect lies. The template requires an astonishingly yes. in it. Ag- so. Agreed. Agreed. So any, any of our listeners who might be talented in computer science, I challenge you, write a little algorithm, submit it to Gray Matter, uh, <laughs> submit some auto-generated uh, template magic to uh, the gray matter call. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about two episodes from the new season of Black Mirror. But first, here's something from the it-turns-out genre. Dave, you might think that a humble podcast like ours would never get a sponsor, but astonishingly, it turns out that we have one, our very first sponsor, and it's a good one. RX Bar, the whole food protein bar with all natural ingredients and no BS. Dave, you know, you look like someone who has a hard time fitting in regular meals. Are you telling me that I'm slim? Well, thank you, Tamler. But no, that's very true. I'm actually really horrible at, at regular eating. And, and because of that, I'm always on the lookout for food bars, protein bars. Especially as a vegetarian, I'm, I need extra protein. So I'm always on the lookout for protein bars. And the number one thing I have to say that makes me... Well, two things that make me actually a bit trepidatious about eating most protein bars is one, like the crazy ingredients, like some of them just taste artificial. They're, they're, you don't know what's in them. They uh, sound like they're from a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> exactly. It's like Soylent Green. And, and that's the difference with RX bars. RX bars are really, really simply made. Like they, are, they actually have like six ingredients. They list the three main ones or four main ones, depending on the flavor of which there are 11. Right on the front of the package, um, the few minor, fl- minor ingredients on the back, you know what's in them. They're gluten-free. They're soy-free. They're dairy-free. There's no added sugar. They taste good. They give me protein. They're quick to eat. And I am super stoked that RX Bar is our very first sponsor because I'm going to start keeping them in my bag at all times. I love that they're not too sweet. That's the biggest thing that's kept me away from eating protein bars on a regular basis. And it has egg white protein. I didn't know that egg whites had most of the protein in an egg, but it does. So how did you not know that egg whites are the source of protein? (laughs) I, I thought that the, the, the propaganda of my family was that the yolk contains all the protein because I always like the egg whites better. Every RX bar, I believe, has three egg whites. So thank you to RX bar. And as a way to thank you, our audience, RX bar has given us our very own promo code. You can go to rxbar.com slash wizards. And on your checkout, enter promo code wizards, W-I-Z-A-R-D-S at for 25% off. I actually recommend that you get the variety pack. Um, Check out all the flavors, 11 flavors. Um, Test them out. 25% off. Pretty good deal. Thank you to our X-Bar for sponsoring Very Bad Wizards.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Um, this is a moment where we actually thank our listeners for all the support they've given, um, for all the messages, for all of the emails, the Facebook messages, the Reddit posts, the tweets. Uh, we really appreciate it, and it's the one thing that keeps us going. And I want to say, even though this is our very first show with a sponsor, and we greatly appreciate being sponsored, um, we want to point out that uh, the support that our listeners give, um, we hope that doesn't change Especially, and I don't think it would change with all of the the messages and the interaction that we've had with you guys. Um, but uh, we also appreciate all the levels of support that you give us. And so we're going to actually be introducing some new Patreon rewards. But before we get to that, let me just quickly say, um, if you do want to get in touch with us, please do so. We read everything. Um, we read every email and every message. Uh, you can email us verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at Tamler at Peas or at Very Bad Wizards. You can go to our thriving subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Very Bad Wizards. Um, you can Facebook, uh, you can engage in the lively discussion on Facebook uh, with our fellow listeners. You can even see us on Instagram uh, where we post for every episode. Um, is Eliza still doing that? She is. Yeah, she's, she's doing a good job. Um, so she, she's going to pick it up a little bit, <laughs> pick up the creativity, unless um, you know yeah. you want to just hop on that. But <sighs> I feel I feel like Instagram is barely in my grasp as a as a middle aged person now. <laughs> um, she Snapchat. My daughter's on Snapchat all the time. Maybe maybe she can start a Snapchat. I don't <laughs> allow just... Eliza to do Snapchat. Snap, slap chat, Snapchat, <laughs> Jesus. That sounds like a BDSM yeah, site. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, Snapchat. Not because I'm worried that she'll sext like people, but more that there's just enough shit that she's doing on online that I don't want. It's a total time suck. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so you're good to keep her off of it. Um, so. If you would like to support us in more tangible ways, along with going uh, to visit our sponsor webpage, please continue. <laughs> you know, also, how long do you think this sponsor thing is going to last? Three episodes. Yeah. Three episodes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you can uh, support us by going to our website, verybadwizards.com slash support, and you can see the ways you can support us there. You can uh, PayPal us. Believe us, we still... We still are very, very appreciative of all your donations uh, to keep our lights on. Um, you can support us by simply shopping on Amazon, by visiting our link first and buying as you would normally. We get a little piece of that. Or you can go to our Patreon uh, website. And at this point, that's where we're going to say we have plans. Yes, right? we do. We're going to – so we're going to change our levels of support a little bit. So for our $1 and up – uh, listeners, you'll still get the periodic, mostly monthly newsletter with our recommendations. But now you'll also get Dave's Beats. You'll have access to all the volumes of Dave Pizarro's Pizza's Beats, um, which are awesome. I love them. And he Thank does, you. like, they come with good cover art. He writes a little thing about them. Um, you're coming out with a new volume, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, we keep saying it. What's kept me is the writing part, but uh, yeah. they'll, <laughs> they'll be up. And uh, yes, that's right. So so thanks. That so, will be for our $1 subscribers. 
for our two dollar and up subscribers we're now going to introduce uh we're going to have like a few podcasts and they'll generally be short um on you know something like black mirror so so we're doing two episodes on our main show today that's probably all we would want to do for the main show, but Dave and I like to talk about these things anyway. We like to talk about these things, and we figured we'll just make little short episodes, say, about two other episodes in Black Mirror that we really liked, or about the Dave Chappelle episode, or some new little article that we saw, or some new what whatever is something that we probably wouldn't put into the the very bad, you know, the canonical very bad wizard like narrative story but it's it's like rogue one or something you know it's like a little <laughs> side thing that's right it, it it will uh scratch our itch too of every once in a while there are things yeah. that we want to talk about that we sort of just know that m- many of our listeners wouldn't care that much about but some very very uh devoted listeners uh, yeah. might actually want to hear us talk for a while about so and every once in a while we might have Tamler or I talk to somebody else about something. Yeah, uh, like so those are our plans. We might do like little interviews with people. A whole series on transporter dilemmas. <laughs> yeah. that, just, that'll be your department. Paul, Paul and I are just ranting like old men. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so... They're going to wheel uh, you away. Like, uh, <laughs> you're just going to be raving about transporters like with a shopping cart. <laughs> uh and then right so then for our five dollar and up we will you'll get everything and you'll what are we gonna do are we gonna do anything more uh well for now you're gonna get all you're gonna get the new episodes you're gonna get the beats and you're gonna get the newsletter and you're gonna get to vote on the uh, an episode that we do a couple times a year and which was both very times, successful that's Very yeah, successful. Yeah, yeah. That's that's been great. And then if we think of something else, oh, one of the things we were thinking of, and we would actually be good to gauge interest in this, is uh, some sort of um, ask me anything, like live chat or something like that, that we would do periodically, yeah. uh, three or four times a year or something like that for a period of time, you know. Um, so. So we're going to that's something we're still going to explore but if you'd be interested in that let us know. All right. Well, so the first one I saw over the the holiday and I just like at a certain point I just like you know you're around a lot of family I just took my computer into a like a room we were staying in an airbnb and i just like i'm just taking 50 minutes or i guess it's a little over an hour this one and i'm just watching it with some maker's mark and <laughs> i'll be with everybody in like an hour i thought it was great you took your own little black mirror yeah. into a room exactly. and, and watched black mirror yeah uh yeah and you texted me actually i hadn't seen it and you texted me and and uh, i watched it i think the day afterwards in a very similar fashion i uh, thoroughly enjoyed it like it's... it was it was great it was fucking great it scratched every itch you starts out with a great sort of degraded video a la 60s star trek some what seems to be an old TV series um, that uh, 
that is is really cheesy taking place in outer space. It's um, Star Trek, right? I mean, it is Star Trek. I mean, it's almost down down to a a an evocation of William Shatner by what's the name of the actor? Jesse Plemons. I, I, a fat Matt Damon is, is, is what somebody called him once, and I always think of that. I, I think he's great. Like he's, he's so a good. great actor. It's yeah. not his fault that he kind of looks like Matt Damon. <laughs> He's a he's a great actor. He was great in Fargo. He's great here. And what you realize is that the it wasn't a, a real old TV show. It was a programmer's virtual reality. No, it was a uh, real TV show. I mean, what we're watching wasn't a real version right. of the TV show. <clears throat> what we were watching was a nerdy programmer's virtual reality reenactment of an old TV show that he was super sort of geeked out. Well, you on. know, something's up. At the end of that first scene where, you know, everyone's, like, praising the captain for, yeah. you know, and I love how they have, like, he's not Asian, but he's Indian. Well, I guess that's Asian, like the... Uh, Subcontinental. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that, like, Sulu or whatever? Probably some, like, reference to that. Um, yeah. And the blue-skinned woman. and Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... But but then afterwards, everyone's praising the captain for his amazing decision making, and he just makes out very chastely <laughs> with both of the female characters. That's so you right. know, wait a minute, that's probably not what happened on the show. The excessive ass kissing is is yes, what clues you in that something's not right. Something's not right. So the scene ends, and then it cuts to jesse plemons just in his office and and this is a cool scene too because he goes into the he goes into his office you see the woman with whatever skin some color yeah, blue, like blue, blue skin blue skin yeah. and she's now just a normal human being at this company and he tries to get in but he can't and she's barely like acknowledging him she just kind of ignores him and then uh, gives him shit for not getting the new code to get in, uh, and his and his body language is that of a very sort of uh, yeah. s- submissive person, right? As opposed to what you saw in the intro. You get introduced to every single person who was on that ship, and they're all disrespecting him mm-hmm. to some degree. Like, right? In so I thought, ways. oh, he's like a low level employee, right? But then it turns out he's the CTO. Which, yeah, and co-founder of of a gaming company. All the more just humiliating that his own employees, even interns, are like treating him kind of uh, so disrespectfully. <laughs> That's right. And now the story gets kind of dark. Uh, there's a new person that actually is really kind of worships him for his coding. It's a new young woman, also from season two of Fargo. So she comes in. She's re- she's the only person who actually treats him well. Yeah, she's starstruck. She's brand new. And this guy is clearly, uh, you learn, is the genius who created this virtual reality game where you plug in with one of these neural interfaces um, and you have access to an online, you know, multi multiplayer online role playing um, game called Infinity. Um and she is just super excited to be able to meet him. And, I mean, the, the thing that makes this episode work so well is that 
you see her giving him respect and you realize he's the genius and that there's a reason um, that she should be respecting him. And you feel sorry. You feel really sorry for the guy. I mean, yeah. You really relate to him. He's just getting shit on by everybody, including the guy who plays one of the creepy brothers on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's, uh, he's the CEO of the company. It's clear that he's sort of been skating on the behind the scenes talent of the Jesse Plemons character. It's very obvious that this guy has been shit on and taken advantage of by yeah. everybody else around him. So they see him as just dollar signs. So at this point, you kind of think, you know, maybe this woman, this new woman who actually appreciates him will sort of convince him to stand up for himself and have That's some right. self-respect within the office. And then it takes a turn where she is with the... Um, uh, Michaela Coel yeah. Cole. What's her character's name? Shania? She says, if you pay attention to him, he gets really starey. So I would uh, give him a wide berth. And at this point, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. That's just so fucked up, man. This this poor guy, like he's getting shit on by everyone. And they, they're mistaking his introversion for creepiness. And I'm like, you know, come on, give the guy a break. Like, what does it take? Like, so I'm hopeful this new employee is going to actually bring him out of his shell and we're going to see that he's a good guy. But no, alas. So then he like, there's a scene, you don't know what's going on. He takes the like a straw or something, puts it in a plastic bag and takes it back. And then you realize what's really going on. So he has a little DNA scanner, which, uh, which reads the DNA off of the, I believe it was a coffee lid. Yeah. And a great scene is when she is waking up in in what looks like sort of a souped up fMRI machine or yeah. you know some some sort of technological device on the ship wearing a skimpy you know yeah. 60s Star Trek outfit and she's confused as fuck um, but basically her simulation has been uploaded and launched onto this uh, private developer's build of this game that is uh, off access to the entire world. But it is a version of the online virtual reality game that he's programmed. He just happens to have his own version where he has taken copies of all of the employees who shit on him and <laughs> made them his crew. Now, why just... do they do it? Why do they go along with it? Why do they kiss his ass? Well, you find that out right away. So this new woman, she she's like... Like, get, get me out of here. This is ridiculous. I'm not, like, following orders. I'm not... And then he does this thing where, like, all, immediately all your sympathy is gone for this it's guy. It's completely gone. Just drained. He takes drained. He takes her face and, like, removes her mouth and her eyes. And so now she's she can't breathe. It's only skin. It's only skin. No, no facial uh, features at all. Which is creepy in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and she is apparently suffering from air hunger, but would not die. But she's just suffering. There's a leap of faith here. You have to suspend your disbelief that scanning someone's DNA would give you the information necessary to create a complete replication with their memories and personality and all that. Scanning someone's genetic information is not going to get, give you their consciousness. Are you a dualist? Yeah. Well, you know, even if I wasn't, you would at least want to scan their all of their brain information, um, because presumably this person has had lifetime of experience and 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 all that. So you just have to believe that whatever it is that he did yeah. was something that is sufficient 
to create essentially what we've talked about ad nauseum, a replicated version of another human being who thinks and believes that they are that person still. Here's the thing. I don't think we have talked about this ad nauseum. Yes. I mean, it betrays your commitment by saying we've talked about copies because yes. in Star Trek, it's not supposed to be a copy. It's supposed to be that, that same person. In this case, it's clearly a copy because there is that person that exists out in the real world. It does betray my commitment, but I yeah. also think it exonerates me um, in the sense that whatever technology is being used um, to, to read whatever it is about a person and perfectly create them is not that person. <laughs> that is, there is another person out there in the real world that you could shoot and then you could call it a transport. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get through this plot. The rest of the episodes, it's him sort of hum- successively trying to humiliate them to get revenge on them for what they do to him in the office, the crew, and then it's Nanette Cole leading a rebellion and a mutiny. Yeah. And and so and, and it's a risk. Uh, to to do anything to displease the guy. He also turns people into these creepy monsters, um, right, if they displease him. He turns them into these sort of weird alien-like creatures that can't talk. And perhaps most importantly, I can't believe this hasn't come up already, he clearly has the power to adapt to these people's physiology. Yes. How is this <laughs> One of the not first, come up? You learn that they have no genitals in this simulated universe that, by the way, goes on whenever he leaves. Let's, uh, should we go to our questions about it, but yeah. oh, the genitals. Oh, they, they, they have no genitals. Yes, they have no genitals. You learn this through a very creepy scene where uh, Walton, the CEO character, uh, pulls his pants down, and he's essentially a Ken doll. And you learn that all of them, uh, all of them have this same fate. They can't even take a shit. The way that it ends yeah. is that they escape, and they trap him in a eternal void. Yes. Right? He is the only character left in his simulation. He cannot get out. He is the real he. He is actually the human being who is attached to this game, right. sitting at his desk, and he will live, presumably, until his physical body dies. He will live in this eternal void. Do they live forever, those characters? I, I think they do. That's the idea. That is, until that server goes down, until that game ends, yeah. right? it's taken offline, they will live forever. Um, so they don't have, they're not going to get old. They're not going to... Exactly. They won't change at all. Uh, but she was able to code genitals back into them, which is the big sort of relief of the story. It's a great ending, too, when they run into another gamer. Yeah. Uh, and did, did you catch the... It's Aaron Paul. Yeah. <laughs> it's Aaron Paul. Jesse does. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So what are your... What is, what is one of your questions? I mean, this is a question that comes up again and again. I can't help but think these are creative forms of punishment, right? And so... Most of it is is the injustice of the what of what he's doing to these simulations, right? It seems totally disproportionate. But I that end scene where he's kept in this void, I imagined keeping his body alive and just being forever stuck in this void, or at least until he dies, as one of the worst forms of torture I could envision. You are literally you, your consciousness in a completely black void. There's nothing. There's nothing to interact with. There's nothing but you and your thoughts. And that thought uh, terrifies me 
um, you know, what if death was that? What if when you died, it was just your consciousness in a black void for eternity? Yeah. I, I, I would, it, it, it freaks me out so much that I think to myself that some of the satisfaction of the revenge was taken away by the, the thought of what that would be like. Black Mirror plays with this a lot. So in White Christmas, right? Like yeah. there's playing with eternity or playing with really, really long periods of time. It didn't take away from my enjoyment of, of the episode. It took away from my enjoyment of their vengeance where I thought yeah. that's a flippant way to decide somebody's eternal torture. And I don't know what I mean. Sure. Maybe it's even proportional given what he was doing to them, like the, the thought that they could spend an eternity as his as his slaves. But at least they got to talk to each other and bitch about it and have drinks and like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> is your question, is it just? Was it a just form of punishment? Yes. I think that the question really to me is that uh, is even as somebody who is OK with retributive punishment in certain cases – this strikes me as so cruel and unusual that I can never imagine anything being worth this, worthy of this punishment. And it, 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 it really, really struck me as the excessiveness of it is something that's not just discussed in the Black Mirror universe. I mean, it's, I don't, right? I think that a lot of Black Mirror is an indictment, not just of the bad characters, but of the characters you're sort of rooting for and the viewer. Right. Certainly one of the so one question that I had is, is is uh, this episode an indictment of or a critique of Black Mirror's biggest fans? Like because, you know, these white guys that kind of not feeling the respect that they think is owed to them, that guy would be a Black Mirror fan. Right. right. And here he is showing what these people are capable of. And I think he's also doing that with the other characters. The other characters aren't likable people. They are really disrespectful and mean yeah. to that guy. So I don't think you're supposed to come away from this thinking that anybody is fully uh, off the hook. But see, unlike, say, the White Bear episode, I feel like that's where the episode ended. And there was, there was no discussion about that particular form of punishment that they left him with. Right? Really, I agree with you about... In some ways, the most obvious interpretation is, hey, right, like the, this is the Gamergate slash Me Too slash yeah. privileged white guy. It's a condemnation of, of that kind of being frustrated uh, but not knowing. That, but, like, it, but it's also a condemnation of the people who like diss yeah. those people is my it's point. It's also uh, – yeah, It's yeah. a condemnation yeah, I, of everybody. I See, I maybe upon thought, I just don't think they dwelled on the condemnation of – the awesome gamer chick who saved them all. Well, she's right? the I, one that like, yeah, she's the closest thing to a fully sympathetic character. Yeah. And, and I don't think we got any hint that we were supposed to dislike her at the end or disagree yeah. with yeah. it. I, no, I think right. it was, we didn't get a hint of it, but I think if you, if we had Charlie Brooker, Charlie Brooker would deign to come on very bad <laughs> wizards that he would think he would say, yeah, I do think that's like a real it question. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So I guess then, then I'm saying like there, there are punishments that nobody seems to deserve and they, they pulled one of those out. Yeah. But it's also led me to think 
and and I don't know if this is just me particularly thinking this, like even their lives afterwards, the, the thought of being unable to die yeah. freaks me out, right? Like dying freaks me out. But the thought of living eternally, no matter what. You're like a Jewish mother. Like you don't <laughs> like dying freaks you out. Not not dying Absolutely. freaks you out. This is this is my sort of, you know, my 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 resentment at being thrown into a universe in which there is no good option. Dying eternally is horrible. Living eternally might be even worse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and being a digital copy that can, that can do nothing to, to kill yourself is, is to me, um, a, a freakish thought. And the thought that I had at the end of these episodes of uh, this episode was one of pity for the guy who's punished and also one of, of despair at the thought of being a digital copy inhabiting this horrible universe of gamers um, and unable to just die. I, I guess at the end, maybe they could unplug themselves. Yeah. Um, but there is some point at which I'd be like, please, sweet death, come and take me. I also I like there are a couple of nice touches. I like how she gets her real self to to yeah. save them by blackmailing herself with these like. <laughs> Uh, naked pictures she took <laughs> that are still on her phone. Here's my question that relates to everything that you're saying. What do you think, and I know these cases are under-described, but what do you think our moral obligations would be, like suspending all of our disbelief to these simulations um, in a game like that? Are they exactly the same as they are towards other real human beings that has, is it just in any way to get revenge on a copy of the person who has mistreated you in the real world? That's a really good question. And, and it may be just two questions. So, so I think that one of the things that I hadn't thought about until you said it, but I was feeling it is that, um, this revenge is pure cowardice, right? The way in which he is going about this is like, you don't have the balls to tell off your boss um, you have to create a copy where you can mistreat them. I mean, it's a it's a sophisticated version of kicking the dog, right? Yeah. Um, it's, that, it's that that's a common theme in Black Mirror: cowardly revenge. Um, so it is it is totally not not the kind of revenge that that is to be respected if you are at all inclined to respect any kind of revenge. Um, this one is a is a particularly cowardly one, and that's why his character just goes down the drain the minute you figure out what he's doing, because he's not even affecting the lives in any way of the people who he actually wants to to affect. He's he's simulating it. It is re, it is truly revenge porn, right? But he's not taking any risks either, like that no, are normally associated with revenge. No, he's no, well, just, he didn't realize he was taking risks. Yeah, he, he was, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, not that he was aware of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but um, what would our obligations be? Like, could you? I mean, right. obviously, what he's doing is deeply wrong. But like, what what about like just having them take your like, sex slaves? Just I mean, you could just imagine like going to taking them to Paris. Now they don't want to go with you to Paris, <laughs> but you're taking them to Paris. Yeah, uh, you know, like like is so in other words, is there anything you could do to simulations that would be okay that you don't do to real people? Right. So on the one hand, the episode wants you to believe that these are for all intents and purposes real people um yeah. that live in a digital world, right? And it sort of turns on this premise that um 
that that these might as well be be real people. There is nothing that prevents them from enduring the suffering that you and I would endure. In that case, if we were to take it, then I think the answer is pretty obvious that we have a very serious moral obligation to give these people rights and autonomy and everything that we would expect for from a human being on earth. There's another version of the question, though, which is uh, something that I came across, and maybe if I can track it down, I'll find it, um, which is imagine that it's just a degraded version. That is, th- they're lacking something that humans lack, and not, and not in any sort of dualistic soul kind of way, is that they are just, they are not the full, right? If you accept that consciousness is some, some measure of degree, these are uh, not fully like human beings. I came across a paper the other day that I wanted to laugh at, because it, it was just the kind of thing that we would talk about here. And it was somebody's argument that treating video game artificial intelligences poorly is immoral for all of the same reasons that we would consider it immoral to treat animals inhumanely. So the argument was that there is some level of, of whatever, you know, cognitive representation that these, that these artificial intelligences have um, and I, here I mean non the non gamer characters that are in right. So like if you play Grand Theft Auto and there's right. there's a character talking to you and you take out a bat and you smash their head, the author was arguing that we have a moral obligation not to do this. That we don't quite know whether or not these things are capable of suffering. And the appeal was that in the same way that we wouldn't hit a a dog or whatever, you know, that <laughs> there was some that there was enough doubt that we shouldn't like take a bat to a, a, a character. That's so ridiculous. Cause number one, <laughs> there's no doubt that a pig can feel pain or like a dog can feel pain. That's not part of the argument. The part of the argument is whether there is doubt that for it to be a parallel that has to be the, that, that does have to be part of the argument. Uh, but the argument here is suppose that you just don't quite know why, what are the, like, what if, what if you're like the odds are one in 50 that, that these characters could feel pain. Wouldn't you be morally obligated not to inflict? Not pain? for the same reason that you're not morally that you're morally obligated not to f- inflict pain on animals, because well, we know that yeah. animals feel pain just as much as we know that human beings feel pain. Right, but but I I, I feel like if you if there were hints that an animal felt pain and you weren't quite sure, right? So like, we, say we, if it's a like a shrimp or something. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, like, so then the question, the the real question is whether it's uh, it's remotely possible that the g- guy in Grand Theft Auto feels pain. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's ludicrous, but I think it, it's an interesting question to say: Is there a level of complexity, like, given that we're able to suspend disbelief pretty easily that these these simulated characters are experiencing what humans are experiencing? Is there some degree at which point we will get to characters that are cognitively complex enough that we think they might actually be able to experience, even in digital form, they'll be able to experience something? That was such that, a common theme throughout the whole season is <clears throat> is simulation, some sort of computer simulation, but right. it feels pain. That it can actually feel the emotions that a human feels. Right, and in the Black Mirror universe, Brooker just wants you to accept that they that this is in fact yeah. true. Right, um, there's no it's he does no little to no work to try to yeah to build it. He just wants you to accept it. So, true. do you think it's obvious that given that assumption 
the that Charlie Brooker just wants us to make that our moral obligations to those simulations are ex- identical to our moral obligations to real people. Yeah, and I think to the extent that they might not be identical, it would turn on really boring empirical uh, facts, right? Like, um, you know, obviously the needs of a digital copy aren't for food and water or whatever. But I think that that in every important way, those digital copies deserve respect and sort of the, a principle of treating them with respect as we would treat any other sentient creature. So my, my intuition, my gut intuition is if I knew that these people were out there in that world, I would try to work for a way to make their lives comfortable or, or to get them into a better, a better situation. Right. So that they're not trapped in this, in this game. Not factory farm them, but let them live. <laughs> do you, but do you, do you agree? Do you, that we have obligations to these people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly how you feel in these episodes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, the only question is one of degree. Do you yeah. feel as bad when she gets her face, you know, like suffocating like that as you would if that actual character, you know, right. in the real world? Is it, you know, that's the only question, I think. Certainly right. you have it, some obligation, but are, is it as horrible to do that to a computer simulation as it is to the real person? Right. And that's where it's hard to know. And part of the trick is, you know, as we've talked about before in our discussion of um, blanking on the name of the movie with the robot women. Oh, Ex Machina. Yeah. Yeah. Ex Machina. Right. Where there is there there's a level of sort of deceit, not in the in the bad way, but they're because they look and talk just like regular human beings. I feel like every intuition is that these people deserve the same rights. I think, again, that's where I would turn on some empirical like I certainly wouldn't feel that if 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 what I saw were lines of code, right, like Matrix style lines of code, like I wouldn't, you know, have the same the same thought that this person is suffering. But we're led to believe that that torture that he inflicts is real suffering. Right, the taking away the the, the face and mouth. It has um, to be. Yeah. I I do think though that the most humane thing to do in those cases would just be to unplug the computer, to erase it. They seem like they were having fun though at the end, <laughs> drinking like alien vodkas. And yeah. Stuff. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a break and talk about Black Museum. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We are now going to talk about the final episode of this season of Black Mirror, Black Museum. And it seems like, given that it has callbacks to every single Black Mirror episode that has been put out, it seems like it could be the last episode of the entire show. Now, I don't know. I haven't heard or read anything about whether that's true or not, but it had a kind of coda... Uh, element to it. it it appealed to a lot of different themes that from past episodes so i wonder i mean that's and then we could talk about that maybe at I, the end is whether it should be the last episode of black i i entirely agree i think it, the way that i thought about it is that 
the, the show does get meta. I don't know about a callback to every single episode, but it does. But maybe, like, it does it. Did, yeah. did he, oh, I read, wow. I read that it does. Yeah. Oh, let's put a link to that. Um, that's pretty awesome. It, it just makes me think that, that, that this really, it really is in the sort of a meta discussion of the whole series. And it's, it's a great way of doing it because it's an anthology within right it's the episode itself is an anthology yeah. about a show that's an anthology and it cements together the black mirror universe in a way that i find very satisfying yeah um, so it's it's like a microcosm of the whole show so one thing you realize i guess throughout the episodes cuz there are like callbacks to other episodes scattered through but right. that this is all part of the the same universe all right so yeah. this episode is the way it starts is a woman, she's out of gas, she's charging her car up, she happens, or she appears to happen upon this, what looks almost like an abandoned building, but right. that's just called Black Museum. She knocks on the door, and someone answers, and apparently the museum is still up and running, but while it used to be... Um, successful now she's the only person that goes on the tour both of them are really good but the actor right. who plays rollo haynes he's uh he he's great and he, he 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 describes to her all these different exhibits and what you know what the story behind them is because he is involved in each of the stories and i guess the the premise of the museum is it's just a te a living testament to different kind of crimes and f fucked up. I mean, it's a, it's a crime museum yeah. and it's right, like that on the face of it, it's, it's crimes, but they're all crimes that have been committed through some aid of technology, which makes sense since the guy who is curating the museum is uh, apparently the guy who is responsible for a lot of this technology. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but, you know, it is great because there really are, you know, when you drive through like the, yeah. this country of ours, um, you, you know, you're like on route 66 and there will yeah. be some museum dedicated to some bullshit, right? It's like some little, and, and so it, very, it captures the, yeah. the, the feel of, of going to And like these. some of these also like freak museums that you sometimes yeah. see, you know, it has that kind of feeling. So what you end up getting is three separate stories that are all connected by this guy who is involved in every one of them. Um, the first one is about a doctor who is unsuccessful at curing his patients in the emergency room and so is brought by the uh, Rolo Haynes who's working in that same building He's brought up, he says, like, you could try this new technology that we're piloting. That's what it always is, which is if you put on this, like, hairnet, you will be able to feel what the patient is feeling, and that will help you to diagnose the patient more effectively. And so the doctor does it. The, the way this hairnet works is you don't suffer the physical consequences. You just feel the sensations that the patient right. is feeling. So he feels all of their pain. So it actually helps him like figure out what's wrong with them. And so for the first part of that segment, he's sacrificing himself to help all these people. 
Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's an enhanced empathy hat. Yeah, right. It is if if you define empathy as feeling what other people are feeling, um, he gets to feel exactly what they're feeling and diagnose because of that. Yeah, he knows what this what appendicitis feels like. But then he's also having this relationship with uh, uh, the nurse or his like orderly. Yeah, and they put <laughs> he puts on the hairnet while having sex with her, so he he then feels like a female orgasm and a male orgasm at right. the same time. If they can, you know, they can time, if they that. can coordinate. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 so like you know like that's that's great. But then something happens where he instead of feeling like suffering. When he's feeling another person's pain, he starts to feel pleasure from that. And he starts right. getting addicted to the pain of his patients and the pain of um, the, the woman he's in a relationship with. She gets right. freaked out by it and, and leaves him. He's, he's a sadist and a masochist all in one. Yeah. He needs it. It becomes like a drug that he needs to um, experience. The, and so he ends up like cutting off his own face mostly and then torturing a homeless person and right. the exhibit just has his hair net right so the and the idea step. right the, and the really nice idea here is that it's not enough that he inflict pain on himself because what he's really addicted to apparently is is the terror that other people are experiencing and you much like you can't tickle yourself right they they say you can't when you're hurting yourself, you know what's coming. You can't experience that terror, right? It, the amygdala lighting up. So, exactly, right. So that's, and that's an interesting little psychological insight about sadists. Okay, second episode. In some ways, second segment, in some ways, my favorite of them. Because <laughs> you're married. Maybe it's because I'm married, yeah. <laughs> so a, a man starts a relationship with a woman that seems like... They're perfect for each other. They have a son. Everything's going great. But then she gets hit by a truck. Uh, who who pops up but uh, Rolo Haynes. He says she's in a coma. He's visiting her at the hospital. And he says, you know, we have this new technological gadget. And it will allow her to be put into your body and act so what's the technology like it she it's like uploads a version of her digital consciousness to yeah. inhabit your body so she can experience everything that you're experiencing you can you know she can communicate with you because of whatever the neural interface yeah so essentially she is a inhab an inhabitant a, an agentless in in some sense yeah uh, physically agentless inhabitant of your brain right it's a little like all of me um, the movie All of Me. Do you remember Steve Martin uh, and Lily Tomlin? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, although I think she had control over some parts of his body, <laughs> um, where she doesn't. That's right. Right. Um, but the big thing is that she can see her child, and when he hugs their son, she can actually feel the hug, and so he feels kind of obligated to to do that. Right. And then. Uh, but it turns out, it turns out, it turns out that having like a digital copy of your wife actually inside of you also comes with some drawbacks. 
One of them being that, like, when she he doesn't wash his, wash his hands after peeing, she's like, "You're not going to wash your hands? That's disgusting." It's, a, it's, a, it's sort of men's best kept secret, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> She starts backseat driving his life in a way that someone who's been married as long as I have, it might be like the worst possible thing so that could it's happen. A little, little on the nose. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. Um, uh, the yeah, I love it when he's reading the graphic novel. She's like, really? <laughs> right? Yeah. So he has no private, no private moments, right? Like yeah. if he wants to jerk off, she's she's there, right? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, Judging what he's jerking off to, too. Right. So then um, Rolo Haynes says, yeah, you know, well, we have this new upgraded feature that will allow you to pause her. And and so he's like, yeah, I'll, we'll do that. And she doesn't want it, but she has no power. And then he starts pausing her for long periods of time. Uh, yeah, and, of like, course, she doesn't like, know. It's like one second to the next. Yeah. She's like, you know, a month went by or whatever. Yeah. And now – and then he starts a relationship. And it ends up that, like, the she gets into, like, a fight with the new person that he's yeah. with. She's a cock blocker. She's like yeah. an internal cock block. She's an internal yeah. cock blocker. And so he puts her into a teddy bear that is only able to experience – or no – Able, she's able to experience uh, all the emotions, but she's only able to express two emotions, <laughs> happiness or sadness. Yay or boo. She becomes yeah. an emotive. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the, the teddy bear gets abandoned. And so it's the teddy bear that's in the museum, but she's still in the mu- she's still in the she's, teddy bear. Her consciousness is in this limited form. Yeah. The only thing that she can do is is have the teddy bear voice say monkey loves you. Or monkey needs a hug. Monkey needs a <laughs> hug. That's sad, and monkey loves you is happy. Yeah. Uh, so that's the second one, and then the third one. Well, you want to describe the third one? So the third, the third one is a prisoner who has been accused of a murder, and we're given some reason to believe that perhaps uh, falsely accused, but he Rolo expresses no interest in his innocence or or guilt, um, or at least. Uh, doesn't care too much, um, who is given the option of, in exchange for allowing himself to be digitally copied and uh, displayed as a digital copy, before he gets put to death for his murder in the electric chair, um, he's, he's given this option and it's sold to him as, hey, look, if you allow us to do this, we'll have a digital copy of you and we'll display you at a museum but your uh, your wife and daughter will be taken care of for the rest of their lives. This, this will be a way that you can ensure that yeah. they are looked after and financially. If you taken get the care chair, of. if you don't, then we won't do it. If we, exactly, yeah. so he gets the chair. He's uploaded right before he's he's killed, um, and we see him. This is the main attraction of the Black Museum. Um, is that you get to this room? It's essentially a jail cell, and you see sort of a Princess Leia style hologram. Uh, version yeah. of this guy who has who has been um, executed for the murder of somebody, and the whole idea of the Black Museum was built around this feature where you would get to come see the criminal, right? And this was um, some form of continuous punishment because the digital copy presumably is experiencing things, yeah. and um, that wasn't enough though. People seeing it wasn't enough. So the entrepreneurial spirit of Rolo decided that one of the things that he could make money on is to allow people the ability to actually flip the switch and continuously electrocute the man as a punishment for his crime. 
So people come and they pay money to flip the switch. They see him sitting in the electric chair. And this is, I, I guess, keeps the museum afloat for a while. Um, but it completely breaks the man, right? So, so even his digital representation is now a shell of a human being and somebody yeah. who's been tortured so excessively that He's he barely looks away. He's set the levels so that it won't kill him, but it's exactly. still enough to get the people off from exactly. uh, right. doing the electrocution. So some twisted people are going in there and trying to jerk off at the sight of him getting electrocuted. Right. So then twist. we find out. Twist, right? The woman who is visiting, the young woman who is visiting uh, the Black Museum, throughout the episode, the museum has been getting increasingly hot. Um, she has offered the curator a bottle of water. At some point, you realize that the curator, Rolo, is actually dying of something. He's, he's yeah. been, been poisoned. And this is when she reveals that she is actually the daughter of the main attraction and that um, what he's done to her father um, is, is what she's there for. Right? Yeah. She's there to seek revenge. So she tells him the story as he's slowly dying. But before he dies, she destroys the digital copy. She gives mercy to this digital copy of her father. Um, and she uploads Rolo... Yeah. Onto, onto a little memory card. And she makes him, as payment for, for all of the suffering that he's inflicted on her father, she makes him experience, he's a digital copy, but unlike the oblivion of the very first episode, <laughs> what he is experiencing is being a digital copy that is constantly being, being shocked. shocked. But that's what those chair. people got is souvenirs <clears throat> of that of, of That's her right. father. And so now she's taking a souvenir of him. Right. As, so there are these little yeah. chains that have a digital representation of the father who would be getting shocked and they would like, they would, you know, laugh and with glee at the, at the little 10 second yeah. repeat, like an animated gif of, of the guy that they had shocked. Um, but it's not an animated gif. It's his full consciousness. And he is constantly screaming out in pain. And he knows that that's like he's desperate to have her not do that. Just kill me. But she won't. Yeah. And then she puts it in the last scene. She puts it on her on her mirror. Like it's yes. one of those like dice or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and drives away and she got her revenge. And then we find out that that, in fact, her mother's consciousness is residing in her. Right. Right, right through that 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 same technology in in the second segment. Yes. Yeah. Clearly Charlie Brooker is not Jewish because the idea of having your mom in you <laughs> if you were Jewish would be worse. <laughs> that that in fact is the punishment. That is the worst the yeah. worst punishment. <laughs> like if the point of it was that like someone should get revenge on her. You're jerking off again? <laughs> So here's something, and I have this question about White Bear, too, which this is definitely the, – the third segment of this is definitely calling back to. because, Like these people who come in there and pull the switch um, just for the yeah. kicks of it, like to yeah. see this man get electrocuted, that's sort of like the people in White Bear who come to see this poor woman tortured – um, and like scared and experiencing the same horrible uh, fate that she originally afflicted, inflicted on this this girl. In both cases, it's like this cowardly sort of retribution, um, right. where the people are just in it. You know, they're not connected to the crime in any way. They're not 
putting themselves out there or taking any kind of risk for what they're doing. They just love to see it and they love to see somebody who's supposedly done something bad suffer um, and they get off on it. Do you think people are actually like that? Do you think pe that that, you know, that 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 exhibit would really be I, successful in any way? Is that like an act accurate portrayal of human nature? I so like on the one hand, you have like this very rich human history of of, of people wanting to see public executions, right? So as part of my dive into thinking and talking about this, I was I was reading about public, uh, Ted Bundy's execution, right? Like people were thrilled. A, a lot of people want to see it. All right. Um, less so probably now than ever where we've, we've changed perhaps, but this is certainly something that's not unusual that people would want to see at least the one time, um, sentencing execution of somebody who they're morally outraged by. So, so in, in some ways this is, it's not surprising that people would want to see it where I think that it wouldn't be plausible is that I think that, that there is a finality and a satisfaction that people might be willing to get that doesn't border on sadism. It's, it's satisfaction, right? There's this feeling that, you know, Ted Bundy killed 30 women that he admitted to killing and we're finally ending his existence. And it, I don't think that's the same feeling that would be that I don't think that would be satiated by repeatedly watching somebody get electrocuted all of the energy and the mental energy and the, and the moral outrage and the satisfaction of justice doesn't seem to to me to be possible in that kind of environment <clears throat> it seems like pure sadism i mean it, it does yeah. and i just i don't know it doesn't strike me as i just don't buy that people would go in there and just like pull the switch just to see some person they don't even know who that is really or they've right. maybe heard about them suffer repeatedly getting uh electrocuted and, you know they have families they have kids they have in the same way that i don't totally buy that about the white bear people now maybe i am too naive and optimistic about how people really are but it does seem like an overly bleak like to me the the ways in which we're morally compromised to like probably an unforgivable level is the kind of stuff that we know goes on but we don't take the time to really protest against it or we're, we're we it's more like like the woman in the in the the holocaust or you know in 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 germany who wanted them to like not scream <laughs> right next door right. but she didn't want to go there and watch them scream Right. You know, like that's kind of more my picture of how human beings are that 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 if anything, that would make them less like that museum would make them more opposed to the death penalty, not wanting to just go in there and keep doing it. Yeah. And and for all, for, you know, for all we might think that the, and I do think that the death penalty is inhumane. I, I don't think that even the people who are in favor of it are driven by the sadism that is being exploited or presumably in, in the, this, this museum exhibit. I think in fact that people are morally motivated. They, what the satisfaction is giving them is not the 10 seconds that Ted Bundy burned. It's that he's no longer existing. And I don't think it would be satisfying to have a Ted Bundy exhibit where he kept existing and yeah. you just got to, you know, make him feel like 
like worse and really, worse really and worse. horrible all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think Charlie Brooker sometimes takes there's a there's a part where you say, oh, he has his you know finger on the pulse of human nature. And he's really he's really shown that we have this this weakness that you can exploit with technology. Like so it's, you know, like we like sweet foods. What if Twinkies were everywhere? We'd all get yeah. fat. Right. We we like we like seeing justice. What if it was you know readily available as a, as a reality show? Uh, we would all like, you know, engorge ourselves with the moral justice. And and I think and this is one of those cases where it's it's a, the wrong view of human nature, that it is not at all satisfied. It's not it is not uh, pushing the right buttons for for human beings to just see somebody get tortured. It is it has to feel as if there is, you know, like I said, like the ending Right. Yeah. In, in some ways, it's more akin to sticking somebody in maximum security prison for the rest of their natural lives. Right. right. But even that, I don't think that people we don't, get off. We on. don't enjoy that. Yeah. It, it bothers us to see. At least it bothers many people if they had to see the conditions in which people were living. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I agree. I think he's too pessimistic about human nature in many in many cases. And this is one where I think it misses the mark. Um, and. And and then, you know, talk about a, a if I was bothered by the punishment yeah. they left the person with at the end of the the uh, Callister episode. This is just talk about cruel and unusual. There is nothing there is nothing in me that would ever wish that upon another human consciousness. But but you haven't had your father <clears throat> repeatedly tortured for by uh, a guy, you know, who's profiting yeah. off of that. <laughs> eye for an eye uh like then give him that give him a simulation where he is sort of tortured for 30 years in a similar way i i just can't imagine it being satisfying to, i mean this is just like the depths of, like it's essentially eternal severe pain is is just I, presumably these other people have her father right like the the her father's um, oh yeah. See, I wasn't led to believe that that souvenir was actually an upload of his consciousness. Oh, okay. I thought it was just a visual reminder of their of their right, like yeah, you like a video you get a little, or something. Yeah, yeah. They were just watching what they got to see. So she did something that actually made it last forever. Yeah, like that he's constantly being tortured. Right? She she tells him explicitly, yeah. and you're going to always be feeling this. Right? He's she. Like, no. I've read some reviews of this episode, and people say that this is one of them, along with USS Callister, that is supposed to have a happy ending. Do you think this is uh, a happy ending? No. In fact, it's at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, but we've talked for a long time about it. I, I think this is. In some ways, Charlie Brooker's condemnation of himself. Right. I, I mean, I think that in many ways, if you're happy at the end of this episode, Charlie Brooker hasn't gotten to you yeah. in the way that he thinks he should. And he should be punished in the way that, that <laughs> right. uh, Rollo Hayes should be punished. Right. Because even though I've, I've just said he gets human nature wrong um, in at least making us think that this is what would eventually happen if these technologies were to, to, to take over, I think that what he's making a comment on is, you've all enjoyed this. Yeah. Um, what does that say about you? Yeah. What does it say about you? And what does it say about me mm -hmm. that I've created this museum for you to enjoy? You guys yeah. have given you this is why I think as you started off, I was holding off on on agreeing with you too vehemently. But I think that 
this is the ending of the series. It ought to be the ending of the series. Yeah. This is the perfect cherry on top. He said, yeah. he is Rolo. He has given us four seasons of fucked up shit, and we've enjoyed it. Uh, his, it's time for his museum to close. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I didn't think of that. I think that's actually a really cool insight that he is Rolo in some yeah. ways. Like he I mean, has, you, for our kicks, created all sorts of stories of cruelty and sadism and that's right and revenge and retribution and like and and for our entertainment and it's 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 great because uh, you can take it at the level of this is a capstone episode uh uh, that is entertaining in the same way that all, you know, Black Mary is an anthology series. I'm going to give you the ultimate anthology anthology yeah. and, and we're going to hit all of the same themes and you can leave thinking just as if you would from the way we left the white bear episode, like, ah, yeah, see, like you can take it at the level of it being just a sort of meta version of every episode. But I think that if, if, if I'm right, like he is saying, what does it mean that I have created this and people have enjoyed it. And in some ways, enjoying it not in the way that he wanted people to enjoy it, right? right? There's a way in which you might imagine being bothered as a creative person where you create something where you're trying to show how fucked up something is and people are like, yeah, oh, sweet. You know? Well, people say that about Breaking Bad, that like they, yeah. they were trying to make him unlikable and people couldn't stop rooting for him. And this is the line that the Sopranos walked to, I think, brilliantly. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's very much like Rollo Haynes, right? Like he was just going where the market took him. That's right. That's right. Hey, hey, here's a solution. Yeah. Like you can just watch this. Oh, that's not enough. You need to pull the switch. Okay. Well, and so like Black Mirror, clearly people were attracted to the more fucked up ones. Although if they loved San Junipero, then we'll give them one of those too. You know, (laughs) he's just doing what the market will bear. And yeah. yeah. And this is sort of his final comment on the fact that that's what he's doing. And that to me is what makes this episode uh, go from three decent stories to a great episode. Yeah. Probably my favorite of the season. Although I I was more entertained by USS Callister. I've thought the most about uh, Black Museum. Exactly. I think he gave us a lot to think about in Black Museum. And, and, you know, he's, it's also just good as a capstone episode where he's weaving together the universe that he's created. And for whatever speculation people might have that this is kind of the same universe um, he is giving us sort of more concrete ways to say like, yeah, this is all the same universe because here is here and here is what's left of it. People actually abandoned it. People. And, and so maybe it's more optimistic in that sense. Right. The black the, the black museum turns out people moved. People moved on. Yeah. Right. Right. And maybe that's as optimistic as as Charlie Brooker's going to get. About maybe this. what the ideal reaction to it would be. That's a great episode. It should be the last episode. Yeah. Move on. Move on. Right. Like Move drive on. away. Uh, drive. Yeah. <laughs> Your car is recharged. Now drive away. And I think, I think this is part, again, I think this is part of the optimism that he reveals every once in a while in either entire episodes like, like Sanjay Perro or, but also in, in even little, uh, little bits like what, um, in the uh, crocodile episode, the very beginning um, woman, she's giving a speech and she's saying, 
we should hope that the future isn't bleak. Um, and, and in those, I can't help but hear, hear a little bit of maybe he's saying like, okay, I gave you the worst possible outcome. Don't enjoy the worst possible outcome. Maybe, maybe the world is a better place and people years to come won't enjoy thinking this way about the future. Yeah. All right. I have two other quick questions. Do you think yeah. Paul Bloom, I don't know if you've talked with him about it. No, do you think he will hate the first segment of Black Museum? Because no. one of his great yeah. examples is, or one of his the examples he leans on of like the problems with empathy is you wouldn't want your doctor to uh, have empathy for you. You want them to just like treat you in the best possible, most efficient possible way. But what if treating you in the most efficient and effective possible way required that you have? this kind of super empathy uh yeah so i think let, let me channel paul bloom really quickly yeah hi i'm paul bloom i'm canadian i think he would say that uh, human empathy and i think he said this before is actually um the flaws are that you don't exactly experience what somebody else is experiencing that that um one of the one of the things that gets in the way is that you think you know what somebody's experiencing and you you are are you're not really accurately knowing what they're experiencing right like so that's why he thinks say whatever you know men can can't re really get into the mind of a woman and know what it feels like to be treated like a woman what what you have to do is is think about what the right things to do are and do them not try to be in the mind of somebody who's suffered. But I also think that if it were to work that way, he would then just say like, yeah, see, it ends up actually like, it might give you some information when it's accurate, but it might actually uh, fuck with you because you can't build a system of morality on feeling what other people are feeling. Right. Um, I think that he would say Charlie Brooker's agreeing with him that in fact, feeling what other people are feeling does not prevent you from becoming a horrible human being. So empathy will make you cut off your face and torture a homeless person. It's like it's almost like Charlie Bur Charlie Brooker must have read uh, Paul's book. <laughs> Although I don't know, I can't remember what like it didn't have to turn out that way. No, it didn't. At all. Uh, it didn't the, at all. In fact, yeah. it could have just turned on on being a good lover, right? Like it yeah. could have ended that way. Yeah, um, that would have been. But <laughs> it seems as if the guy was an asshole uh, waiting to come out of his shell. Yeah. He was, or, yeah, there was something off about him, like something pretty que creepy about him. Uh, last question. It, the, I think, actually, you can, like, I know you're not married, but uh, you are. But I have been. You have been, <laughs> and you're also, like, still the, the father of a, of a child with your ex-wife. Would you have an obligation to do the consciousness within you, you know, the... What did you call it? You had a good name for it. Um, the whatever, like say. put yeah. that put. Um, I mean, it's it's even more fraught in some ways with your ex-wife, but like, <laughs> although I don't know, it's I don't know which is which is where it's actually. But uh, <laughs> would you feel obligated to do that so that she could hug her child and see her child grow up? And what this, what, what are what are your <laughs> obligations? Let's say she's in a coma. Like, yeah. what are your obligations if that technology exists? I, I feel like this is this this is what makes this this segment suffer, uh, which is by any account, if you were to tell me exactly what this entailed, like even in the roughest form, 
that this means that she would always be in your mind as a sort of like, you know, consistent observer. Fuck no. There is absolutely like death is death. I'm sorry, man. Like, well, they're not dead, though. They're in a coma. No, that's what I'm saying. Like death. Death is there. Like, like, take it. Like you're in a coma. There is no way that that in doing even the most rudimentary cost benefit analysis that this can end well, that to have somebody's consciousness residing in your mind um, constantly and experiencing like you taking a shit and you eating your Weetabix and like you. Like, well, what about is... like if you had the pause technology? Would you <clears throat> would that change your mind? Like you can take a piss, you can jerk off, you can do all that stuff in private. You can even have all your flings. But no, I don't even I don't even think we have an obligation to uh, give them one last like nice day with their child. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it gets hard when you could say is you know, if you could just say like you get one last day, you you get a a day of saying goodbye or something like that. Yeah. Um to me, you know, this is like <sighs> Maybe this is just a sophisticated Charlie Brooker argument about abortion, because the very first thing I think is the uh, the example of the violinist that you wake up that's connected to you. <laughs> Are you allowed to unplug him? Um, I, I feel like like it is such a violation of, of me right. as a person that I ought to be allowed to unplug it. But, th- but that's why I think that if you were to explain that technology to me, I would know that the moment I allowed that consciousness to be in my mind, I would incur an obligation to keep yeah. it going in a way that uh, that so so perhaps if you just found yourself this way. So you're coming um, out as pro-life right now. That's interesting. <laughs> no, I feel like you should be able to like unplug yourself from that person at, at any given point, but you but you do um, point to the real like as we've talked about. The, a very real dilemma of whether or not unbeknownst to you, you all of a sudden have someone's consciousness in you. Yeah. Are you allowed? Uh, are you allowed to unplug? But in this case, right? Like, so let's say you gave them one day or like, all right, look, here's one day you get to hug, you know, like my wife gets to hug Eliza and see her laugh and see her perform something. And, you know, uh, and it's just beautiful. But then she's like, that's it. You're going to turn me off now. The and truth. now you're, it's like, Oh man. All right. One more day, one more day. And then, you know, you could just see it snowballing to like, yeah, you're, I know. you're sitting there taking a shit and she's like, really, you're going to be on your iPad. This is why I feel like the, the reality of it is that, that your wife would probably want, beg you to disconnect her after <laughs> right. just one day of seeing what you do in your mundane life. Like, are you scratching your balls? Like, I mean, we, like we don't think of it from their perspective. Like, that can't be funny. It's like, yeah, I get to see Eliza, but like, this is too disgusting. I, um, I certainly would not want to share a brain with you. Um, <laughs> it is, there is something about privacy um, that is a consistent theme. That's the only other thing that I, yeah. I really had to add to our conversation because you hit on, on the things that I was thinking about. Um, there is a theme of playing, toying with, with having your most inner life invaded. Um, it, and whether it's reading your mind or your memories or, or <clears throat> you know, duplicating you or whatever, there is a, a, a strong sort of, I don't know what to call it, libertarian rights-based view of like, don't fuck with letting anybody into that. Like, this is what technology, this is the danger of technology that people will have access to things that they should never have had access to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And and very much in common with dystopian 
exactly. um, literature and film as we've talked about. It. All right. Uh, we have gone on long enough. Far too long. Far too long. So next time, I think we're going to have David Stano on for the next I episode. So. And then the next episode after that, we'll probably maybe, I think we'll do a movie episode, either Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Old Boy. We did a Twitter yeah. poll. Eternal Sunshine Which... narrowly won. You want to recount? I, I do. I think there's been voter fraud. I want to look at the. I'm, I'm establishing a commission. I I paid a bunch of Russians to vote for Eternal Sunshine. The great and has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man. I'm a very good man. Good man. Just a very bad wizard.